Coming up next on Abounding Grace. If the enemy of our souls can't get to you, he'll begin to go after those that are closest to you. Your wife, your husband, your parents, your kids, your friends, your co-laborers, your co-workers perhaps. You know, if the enemy can't get you, he'll get anything he can to get to you. And how important it is for us not only to, to get our lives on track, but to be very mindful of those that are close to us, praying for them, interceding for them, covering them, warning them, teaching them, discipling them. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Welcome once again to Abounding Grace, the daily radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Aurora. Maybe like the man we'll hear about today, you are greatly distressed and in a crisis. What do you do at such times? Reach for a gallon of ice cream and go into seclusion? Actually, there is a much better response. Pastor Ed Taylor has observed four things we can apply to these seasons of life in 1 Samuel 30. We're learning how to defeat times of great distress today. Chapter 30, 1 Samuel chapter 30 is where we are. We're almost at the end of our study in 1 Samuel. So if you started with us in chapter 1, we are almost at the end, which is chapter 31. Lord willing, we'll finish that next week. And if you did start with us in the beginning, and you do go with us until next Wednesday, uh, for many of you, that'll be the very first book of the Bible that you studied through verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter from beginning to end. Now, when we, finished first, when we finish 1 Samuel, you can know that we're going to begin 2 Samuel, uh, as soon as we gather together again. So we're going to work our way through 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles together because they all go together and you'll see the overlap and you'll see the history of a very important time in the life of the nation of Israel. Now, last time we were together, we learned that God will often use the rock bottom of a person's life to get their attention. Now, he doesn't always have to and I don't think that he takes great delight in it, but he'll use it. Just like we saw as we paused and we went over to Luke's gospel and we took a good look at the prodigal son. Because as the son of a father decides that he wants to do his own thing and go his own way and take his inheritance early and disrespect his dad and live in a way that was dishonoring of God and dishonoring of his dad and dishonoring of his family name. It's, it was dishonoring in every way you can think. His father allowed him to do what he thought was best, even though his father knew what was best for him. He gave him the freedom. He gave him his inheritance. And we learned that in Luke's gospel, we learned that the prodigal son hit rock bottom. Things happened to him that he couldn't expect, that he had no idea. He ran out of money, and when he ran out of money, he ran out of friends. And when he ran out of money and he ran out of friends, a famine that had no one knew, a famine hit the land, a great difficulty. And he got a job feeding pigs, and it was there at rock bottom that God got his attention. Well, it's also what happened in David's life. We looked at just the first few verses of chapter 30 last time. 
We, we focused in on that beautiful truth of how David encouraged himself in the Lord. David himself was in a bad place. And being in a bad place, it was rock bottom in his life that he returns to the Lord. And so notice by way of review, verse 1, it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. They'd taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam and the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now, Ziklag literally means winding or twisting. And life can be that way sometimes. Life has, as we've seen, its twists and turns. Especially, it seems, when we find ourselves in a place really wanting to be, you know, get right with the Lord, perhaps, like David here. David has made a good decision. And we somehow think that when we make good decisions, only good will follow. And we think the opposite, too. When we make bad decisions, boy, we're going to get in trouble. We make good decisions, good things can happen. However, we've learned in all of our Bible studies together as a church, and I think we've also learned in experience, that sometimes you can do good and be repaid with bad. Sometimes you can do bad and get repaid with good. Sometimes you can do bad and be repaid with bad. And sometimes you can, be, you can do good and be repaid with good. You just don't know. And here David is making the right decision, but he comes upon Ziklag, a twist in the road. He comes upon Ziklag thinking that all will be well. I've come to my senses. I'm coming back home. And instead of meeting the father ready to throw him a party like the prodigal son did, he comes back to the city where he left his families only to find out it's been destroyed and all of his families have been taken captive. You see, you start to examine your life and you find that everything seems to be what you want it to be. You, you, you begin to make decisions that God is obviously blessing and you want to walk in the blessings of God only to come to, like David does, a ziklag, a twist, a turn. Here David comes back after making a good decision to lose everything. Now we know that he came back to great loss specifically because he was backsliding. And while he was away, the enemy took advantage of his fleshly choices. But the reality is, is that we need to expect spiritual warfare and we need to expect and not be surprised by difficulties when we set our lives toward obeying God. In a very simple way, that's what's happening with David. He has decided to obey God, and now he's facing a crisis, a test upon that decision. He meets with the difficulties of the Amalekites, as we have seen many times before, a type of the flesh. And the Amalekites attack David at his weakest point. They didn't attack him face to face. They didn't go after and chase him and his men. They went after that which was unprotected. They went after that which was neglected by David. I also see a principle here that's important to grasp. For those of you that are loyal to God and you love Jesus Christ, and it's simply this. As you decide to follow him, as you decide to get serious, maybe this is going to be the service 
or you're listening out on the radio right now, this is the time. You're going to get serious about the things of God. All this stuff has happened in your life, and, and you, are, you are finally convinced that serving God is what he desires, the best decision for your life. And as you make that decision and move forward, you will be met with great resistance, great difficulty. The Bible describes that as spiritual warfare. There is a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There is an ongoing battle. It often is waged within the physical, but it's really a spiritual battle. And there you are. You're ready. You're taking a strong stand. And as you're taking a strong stand, the enemy is making no progress against you. Now, you would think, you know, I think I would want it. If the enemy's not making any progress against me, he would just quit. Just leave me alone. Just, just stay away. And you might even feel a little bit of a removal of the pressure. But here I see in the attack of David's family a warning to us all. And it's simply this. If the enemy of our souls can't get to you, he'll begin to go after those that are closest to you. Your wife, your husband, your parents, your kids, your friends, your co-laborers, your co-workers perhaps. You know, if the enemy can't get you, he'll get anything he can to get to you. And how important it is for us not only to, to get our lives on track, but to be very mindful of those that are close to us, praying for them, interceding for them, covering them, warning them, teaching them, discipling them. You can see now some of the, what Jesus warned us about, that if our house is divided, it won't stand. We'll be very vulnerable. And in this case, we see progress from the Amalekites. We see progress from the enemy of God. The house, if you will, was divided. David was off with the Philistines where he didn't belong, backsliding, almost to the point where he would be enlisted to fight against the children of Israel. He left his family unprotected, unguarded, uncared for. And for a brief moment, he pays the price. They're all taken away captive. We're not told what's done while they're away captive. But knowing the Amalekites, they were evil people, vicious people, nomadic type of people that cared not much for anyone other than themselves. And it doesn't surprise us now, does it? That it says in verse 4, that David and all the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. They understood the significance of this. What happens, David, in verse 6, is, you might want to mark these words, he's not just distressed, he's greatly distressed. Why? Well, the Bible tells us the people spoke of stoning him. Not only has he lost everything, not only is he having to deal with these backslidden years and coming, not only does he have all this going on, but the very people that were loyal to him, that were even with him when he was backsliding, they want to kill him. That's their solution. Because all the people were grieved, it says. Every man for his sons and daughters. And yet, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, not, while none of us want to, be in, want to be distressed, and certainly none of us want to be greatly distressed, it's good to remember that it's often this place of great distress where God's work is really seen, where God's deliverance really shows up. I mean, truly, how would you and I ever experience deliverance unless we found ourselves in a place where we needed to be delivered? Greatly distressed. Places where we come to the end of ourselves, where we see that our way is not God's way, when we're hurting, when we're attacked, when the enemy of our soul steals that which belongs to God, 
And so in the rest of the chapter, as we unfold it together, I want to show you four things that David does in response to being greatly distressed. Four things that he does in times that are desperate. And we've already looked at one of them at the end of verse 6. Number one, David strengthened himself in the Lord. In some translations, it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. This is always where change starts. This is what we need to do to get back all that God has ripped, all the enemy has ripped off from our lives. We can sit there and wallow in the sadness, which will probably lead me to wallow in self-pity, or I can turn to the Lord. When I'm down, I need to encourage myself and remember the good things that the Lord has shown me. In Psalm 103, verse 17, it says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those that fear him, and his righteousness to the children's children, to such as keep his covenant, to those who remember his commandments to do them. In a place of great distress, it's important to learn to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Notice verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you surely will overtake them without fail and recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 men stayed behind who were so worried that they could not cross the brook Bezor. So when you and I are greatly distressed, number one, we encourage ourselves in the Lord. Number two, we notice David inquired of the Lord. He came to a place where he recognized that God is his help, and he asked for it. He brought the priest. I wonder, and again, the text isn't, doesn't tell us, and, and it's only hypothetical, but I wonder sometimes how much grief David could have avoided if he would have inquired and brought Abiathar to him a lot more. How much God wants to speak to our lives if we'll just ask, if we'll just inquire, if we'll just ask him, God, what? God, how? God, when? This is always a wise decision for us. God, what do you want me to do? Okay, I'm, I'm out of the, I, I recognize, you know, I encourage, you know, notice that with David, he encouraged himself in the Lord, but his circumstances didn't change. He's still in a place of losing everything. But instead of staying in that place and dwelling on the fact that he's lost everything because of his black-slidden ways and the attack of the enemy in his weakest point, he asked God, should we go after them? Now, doesn't it make sense you would go after them? I think I'd go I, automatically. Where's my wife? I'm going after them. I mean, it's the logical choice, but is it from the Lord? Well, he found out of it was from the Lord. He asked, and God said, yes, go after them. Not only do you go after them, but I want to let you know, I'm gonna, you're going to get them. You're going to catch them. You're going to win. And I love what he says at verse 8. You are without fail going to recover all. You're going to get it all back, David. I'm going to give it to you. Why do we wait so long to inquire from the Lord? I don't know. But when we do choose to inquire, we'll often get his answer so quickly, so directly, that it'll shock us. And we'll look back. I'm sure you've had these times, haven't you? You're like, oh man, why didn't I pray earlier? This makes so much sense. You've tried to figure it out. You tried to put all the pieces together. You tried, and, and, and it didn't work. But you began to pray and ask God. He gave you wisdom in an instant. He's so faithful, so gracious to us. He tells him in verse 8, go get him back. In Psalm 77, verse 1, it says, I cried to the Lord with my voice, to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. 
Isaiah chapter 26, verse 16 says, Lord, in trouble they have visited you. They poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them. See, God wants to answer you. He wants to speak to that situation. He wants to speak into your pain. He wants to speak into your discouragement. He wants to speak into your situation. But the devil's always whispering, oh, you're not good enough. Don't even ask. He's not going to hear you. He doesn't care. He's got more issues than you. And so you kind of pass on asking the Lord what to do. He's like, oh, you know, what you're in. And easily he could have, I could hear the whispers of the devil with David. It's your fault. Why are you going to ask God for help? It's your fault. If you were here and if you weren't with the Philistines, and, you know, I could hear all of the con- condemning types of things that if the devil's not doing it, you'll do it to yourself. But David, he not only encouraged himself in the Lord, but secondly, he inquired of the Lord. Thirdly, we notice in verses 9 and 10 that David obeyed the Lord. You want to deal with your great distress? Turn to the Lord, encourage yourself. Inquire of the Lord, ask him. And then thirdly, when he answers, obey him. So what does he do in verse 9? So David went. He and the 600 men who were with him, he went. I love those phrases. So David got direction. What did he do? Did he ask for a committee? Did he ask everybody's opinion? Did he wonder what to do? No, it just says, so David went. That's a far cry from a place of being stoned, great distress and grief, which shows me that God can do a quick work of encouragement in your life. He can take you from a place of great grief where you cry and you can't weep anymore to a place of mustering the troops. By the way, this is no small thing. This is a neat relationship between David and these men. Not all of them, as we'll see in a moment, but it's a really neat relationship because in one second they want to stone him. In the next moment, they're ready to go fight with him, go get their people back. It's really cool, you know, because in relationships you go through things. You go through ups and downs. You know, I don't know if you've ever had anyone that's wanted to stone you and kill you and then you go fight with them, but hey, if you have, God bless you, you know. But we all have our issues, you know. We all have our down times. Relationships go through ups and downs. The downs are really hard. But man, how encouraging it is with these, hey, 600 men went with him. David pursued. He took 400 men all the way because 200 weren't able to go. Wow. Obey the Lord. After praising God and after praying to God, David now pursues the enemy to get his family back. There's a time. There's a time to wait. There's a time to act. And God answers. When God gives the green light to act, our only choice is to respond in obedience because God blesses obedience. God doesn't at any time bless disobedience. The Lord says, take a step of faith and I'll be with you. I'll fight for you. But fighting isn't passive. Remember Elijah got into a place where he was greatly discouraged. He was dealing with this very discouragement as Jezebel had threatened to take his life. He had just had the greatest victory in his life up on Mount Carmel. And at the words of Jezebel, he went from the heights of encouragement to the depths of discouragement. And he ran away for his life and hid in a cave. And you'll recall what God came to the cave and, you know, there was all this noise. And remember, that's where we learned that God doesn't speak in the lightning or all the thunder and the earthquakes. He speaks in sometimes in a still, small voice. And the voice that was given to Elijah was very simple. He says, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And there's just times in the caves of discouragement that you hear the voice of the Lord saying, why are you here? You get up, anoint yourself. I'm with you. It's a hard time right now, but I'm with you. It's so encouraging. For your reference, um, due to time, 1 Kings chapter 19, maybe you need to review it. 
those of you in deep discouragement today. Why are you here? Get up and anoint yourself. It's time to go. It's not time to be in the cave. So number one, he encouraged himself. Number two, he inquired. Number three, he obeyed. In verse 11, it says, Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. They gave him a piece of cake and figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he'd eaten no bread nor drunk any water for three days and three nights. Then David, verse 13, said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man from Egypt, a servant of, the, of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and in the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. So here David is, and his men are on the move, and, and providentially, in the sovereignty of God, they find a guy that was left behind, one, a servant of an Amalekite. And after they, he's weary and sick, recovering, they feed him some food, he gains a little bit of strength, and he's going to tell them exactly where they are. I mean, that's what happens. You start taking steps of faith. God meets you there. And what do we do? We wait and we wait and we wait. We want it all to be planned out. Tell me what it's going to be like. Tell me how it's going to be. And what about this? And we sit here waiting for God to explain it all. And God is simply waiting for you to obey. And when you take the step of faith, man, there's an Egyptian. How could you ever meet the Egyptian in the middle of the Sinai desert, man? How, you know, he, he would, you, you have to be on the move obeying the Lord. And when you are, God will lead you into great things. We're learning how to defeat times of great distress today on Abounding Grace through a study of 1 Samuel 30 with Pastor Ed Taylor. Request a CD copy when you give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Again, we're at calvaryaurora.org. Ed, it's quite likely someone listening right now is in a time of great distress and is discouraged. And you have a blog that was designed with them in mind, right? Larry, it's true. I do have a website, a blog that I launched just after, not too long after the death of my son, Eddie, back in 2013. And one of the topics that I write on that is on the topic of grief. It was articles that are written to those in great distress and discouragement because that's where I was. You know, I'd always written on ministry and I've always written things on current events. Um, but now that I've joined into this uh, family of grief and those that are grieving, uh, when God puts something on my heart to write, I, I jot it down and I post it. And uh, it's not exclusive to grief, but if that's where you're at, uh, go to edtaylor.org edtaylor.org, and you can click the grief tab uh, and pull up all the articles that are tagged with grief and all kinds of things. And, you know, one of the recent ones that I wrote was a song by Chris McClarney. It's called God of Our Yesterdays, and it was a song that I, I shared with my son and his then wife in their young marriage when they experienced a miscarriage. And it was a, a hard season, one of the first hard seasons for my son and his young marriage. And, and then he fast forward to 2013 when my son was in a coma, uh, I, we were all there rallied together in prayer and desperation to, for him to wake up around the clock. And, and I remember the moment I shared this song uh, one more time with his then wife, 
reminding her that God is the God of hope, that waiting is the right thing to do, and that we'll wait as long as needed, fully and completely supporting the lifelong challenges that will come once Eddie did wake up. And uh, played that song, and and we worshiped together right there in the room, and um, and I wrote I write on that, you know, just a little glimpse of of my life. And so if it helps you, uh, I'd encourage you visit edtaylor.org, share it with someone, because uh, I know the Holy Spirit. We get to to support one another in the difficulties of our lives, just knowing that He loves us and He's faithful. Visit edtaylor.org and read some of Pastor Ed's raw thoughts on life, ministry, and grief. Here in the month of May, we've picked out an excellent book written by Roy Hessian called The Calvary Road. In it, he teaches that it's through brokenness, humility, and confession that we can prepare our hearts to receive the fullness God wants for us. If you long for revival and power in your life, this is a must-read. And we'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your financial support that we're able to come to you day by day on this station. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated and put to good use. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Don't miss our next study with Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow on Abounding Grace. And may God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora. 